Well, it is good to be back with you. Um, I, I see a lot of folks here who were not able to be with us last week. And and I, let me kind of reassure you, I don't really remember what I said last week myself. I had I had shared with you that I had my three-year-old and one-year-old grandchildren spend the night last Saturday night, and I was bleary, I'll tell you that. So uh, I, I feel a lot better this morning. <laughs> I actually slept last night. So so we'll kind of we'll kind of start start over again. Um, and and hopefully everyone else can catch up with where we are. Um, what we're doing these two weeks, and and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Sally Dowland. Um, I've joined RUMC in 1985, and uh, went on staff here in when 80 no 94 1994. Um, and served as a director of adult education for a number of years. I retired in 2006, and then coincidentally, my husband took a transfer to Houston in 2007. So uh, we went and did time in Houston, and after about five years there, I said, it is time to go home, uh, partly because that three-year-old and one-year-old had been born here. Uh, I needed to get back. So anyway, we're we're back here at RUMC, and, uh, you know, so it's good to be back with you. It's been a long time since I've seen a lot of you. But uh, what we're doing these two weeks is revisiting a, really an essential core Christian belief, but <laughs> it is one that, you know, it's central to our hope, but at least in my experience. Now, you may have had a different experience, but in my experience, it's a core belief that we really don't talk about a whole lot. We reiterate it each week that we say the Apostles' Creed, but we don't talk about it a lot. And that is is our belief, our hope in the resurrection of our bodies. I mean, we, we say it. I believe in the resurrection of the body, but we don't teach a whole lot about it. And so, you know, that was always kind of there, and there are so many allusions to it in in our study of the Scripture, um, but it never really came together until I participated in a book study some years ago, uh, studying the book by Bishop N.T. Wright called Surprised by Hope. And the subtitle of this book is Rethinking Heaven, the Resurrection, and the Mission of the Church. And so what we're going to aim toward today is is thinking uh, more deeply about the mission of the church. Um, we're going to take kind of a roundabout way to get there, but that's where I hope to end up. And I will say, too, as I was preparing again this week, I thought, I am leaving out so much. So if this if this subject kind of piques your curiosity, I would strongly recommend that you read this book. It is it's somewhat academic, but you know it's not it's not way up here. Uh, you know it's it's accessible to those of us uh, who are interested in the subject. So I think I would encourage you to read that if you want to uh, dive a little deeper into this study. But there's. The question for me um, comes to why don't we talk about the resurrection of the body very much? And I think our emphasis today uh, is 
placed on the more immediate, what happens when I die? You know, that's an important thing to, to have the comfort of knowing that when I die, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. You know, that was important for me. My father died at a very young age um, of cancer. And as he was dying, you know, one of one of the, I guess, the stories are, I, you know, he lived in Illinois. I was here with young children. But I remember Mother telling me that on Tuesday was the day his his minister would drive over from our hometown to to Springfield where he was in the hospital. And and on Tuesdays, that was kind of visiting day for that minister. And the Tuesday before he died, the minister said, well, I'll see you next Tuesday. And Daddy said to him, well, if you don't, you know where I'll be. You know, and that comfort, that confidence that he had that he would be resting in the presence of the Lord is important. And I think that's why we have the proliferation of books, you know, just pop culture books, you know, Heaven is Real, uh, what is it, 30 Minutes in Heaven, or what, you know, all these things saying, I've seen it, I know it's real. That's why we cling to Jesus' promise to the thief on the cross. Today you will be in paradise with me. You know, that, that we, we need that comfort, that confidence of knowing what happens when we die. But in doing that, you know, which is very much in line with the thinking of the Jews in Jesus' day, the majority of them. Um, but in doing that, though, I think we, we neglect <coughs> God's full plan. You know, we know from from the beginning of the scripture that God's intention is to redeem and restore creation. That, And, you know, we end up in Revelation, and for those of you reading through the Bible, you know, it's a long way off yet. But, you know, we end up with the understanding of the creation of new heaven and new earth. That, that everything will be made new. That this is just not going to, just disappear in a puff of smoke, you know, that God is intending to restore this very good creation. And so we we neglect to talk very much about this ultimate restoration, about the resurrection of our bodies, about, you know, what happens in life after life after death. We get stuck on the life after death part, but we forget to go on to the life after life after death. And that, too, the resurrection of the dead was was a commonly held Jewish belief in Jesus' day. And remember we mentioned last week, you know, at the raising of Lazarus, Jesus said to Martha, do you believe your brother will rise? And Martha said, yes, on, you know, at the last day, he'll rise with everybody else. And and so that was a common belief, and we are heirs of that belief, but we're heirs of that belief with a twist because Jesus was resurrected early. Jesus was the first fruits from the dead, resurrected before all the rest of us. And so, you know, we kind of have living proof. The disciples saw it, you know, with their own eyes. And so the kingdom is breaking in already and this restoration has begun 
Remember the teaching of both John the Baptist and Jesus early in Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist preached to the crowds and said, you better get ready because the kingdom is coming. And when Jesus began to preach, the, you know, he, he said the same thing. The kingdom of God is near. And then later said, the kingdom of God is among you. The kingdom, you know, God's restored creation, the kingdom had broken in already in the person of Jesus. It's not full yet. That's why when we pray as we just did, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, you know, bring it on, God. You know, we see it. We look around. We see these kingdom signs all around us. We know it's not complete yet, but we want to keep moving toward that. And so Jesus brought signs of the kingdom, you know, in his life. Now, in his death and resurrection, he did a little bit more. He defeated death and evil. And in doing so, became the Lord of creation. And I think that's the part that we... We don't hear in the same way as the early church heard. You know, we, we get pictures of what it means that Jesus is Lord of creation, but we don't, we don't hear it in the same way. Let's turn to Acts, uh, chapter one, and this is a real familiar passage, uh, so, you know, you don't really need to turn there. I'll read it for you. But Acts chapter one, verses six, we'll see how far I go. And this is, this is just before the ascension of Christ, okay, in, in Acts chapter 1. So when the disciples had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, we hear that and go immediately to, to Jesus' reply. He replied, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Um, none of your business. <laughs> But I think if we hear it in terms of the resurrection, what Jesus is saying, you know, how God restores his kingdom and exactly when it will all happen really isn't any of your business. You don't need to worry about that. But it's beginning. He goes on to say, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He was saying, you saw the kingdom break in among you. You saw that I defeated death, the final great enemy. And so you see that God is instituting this kingdom. And now it's your job to go and let people know that I am Lord of creation. And because Jesus is Lord of creation, we need to live in obedience to Jesus. Okay? Jesus was saying to these people who lived under the rule of Caesar, look around. It sure looks like Caesar is Lord, right? He has the control. He runs the troops. He writes the rules. He even calls himself Lord and God at that point. But Caesar is not Lord. I'm Lord. Jesus is Lord and that's the person you owe obedience. Do as Christ says. 
So, we're as I said, we're given images of what it means to be under the lordship of Christ. Mm-hmm. And one of the images that we're given is that we are called citizens of heaven. This is familiar. We, you know, this this earth is not my home. You know, I'm I'm a citizen of heaven. And yet, we hear citizen in a very different way than people in Roman times heard it. Um, writing to the Colossians. Let me read a little bit of, of that. My pages are sticking together in this Bible. I, I need to switch over and use a different one right now. Um, Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes to them and says, well, let's see where I want to read. For this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. We give thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. God has moved us from the kingdom of this world, from the, from the domination of Caesar or the domination of sin and death into the kingdom of Christ. And again, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. So our citizenship is in heaven. But we need to hear this in the context of the people to whom Paul was writing this letter. The Philippians were citizens of Rome. When I hear citizen, like, I'm a citizen of Roswell, you know, since my little corner of North Fulton was incorporated a few years ago. You know, I live in Roswell. I'm a citizen of Roswell. I'm a citizen of the United States. Citizens of Rome didn't necessarily live in Rome. Some of them lived in Philippi. So we need to kind of shape our understanding of being citizens of heaven to to comprehend that doesn't mean we necessarily live in heaven, okay? We're living on this good creation, but we're citizens in home, in heaven. We're storing up our treasures in heaven, but when Christ comes, Christ will bring those treasures that we've stored up to us so that in our new glorified bodies, everything, you know, will have greater meaning and depth. Um, let's read. Well, let me see. No, let me wait on that one. So we need to shift our understanding of heaven and earth as, you know, heaven being somewhere far off in our distant future um, to understanding that that's where we live now. That's where we dwell now. We are under the lordship of Christ, and so we are citizens of heaven. That's to whom we owe our obedience. And, you know, this understanding of of citizenship in the Roman Empire helps to explain one of those passages that that really kind of 
kind of mess up our whole thinking about uh, the resurrection of the body. And that's a passage in in First Thessalonians four, where it says, you know, and the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise, and those of us who are alive will will go up to meet Him in the air, and therefore will be with Christ forever. And and people have taken that one verse and said, okay, the the whole concept of being in Christ means that we'll fly away. <laughs> you know, if you're not in Christ, you'll be left behind. You know, we'll fly away. But, but you know, God's intention is to bring heaven to earth, to marry heaven and earth. And to think of that passage of being caught up in the air to meet Christ, um, it's helpful to think about the structure of the Roman Empire. The, the, the emperor lived in Rome. You might have citizens in Philippi or Thessalonica or, you know, some of these other towns. And the emperor would come to visit. And usually the emperor didn't come to visit and walk up to the gates of the city and knock on the gate and say, let me in. We knew the emperor was coming. And when you got word that he was on his way, the citizens and probably the leading citizens of the town would run out to meet him. You know, they're... We're not going to let the emperor come in all by his lonesome, you know, and they would run out to meet him to escort him in to the city where he was ruler. In the same way, those of us who are alive in Christ will go to meet him and say, come back and see what we have done with your creation. It's a little bit like when my granddaughter, um, you know, I gave her, I gave her a, a kit where she could make her own headbands. You know, you could glue jewels on them and ribbons and little flowers. And, you know, I gave her this gift. And when I go to her house, she says, Grandma, 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 come on. Come up to my room and let me show you the headband I've made. Right? You know that. Come on. Let me show you. Come with me. You know, run out to meet you and bring you in to show you. Explains those parables. When this, the master goes away and leaves his servants with talents, and some are saying, Master, come on, let me show you what I've done with what you've left me to do. But this idea of, of citizenship, you know, because, because our concept of heaven is, is a little different, you know, I think our other image that we have in the scripture is much more helpful. And that's the image of marriage. And I'm going to turn to Revelation now. Revelation 21. And read a passage there, starting in the first verse. I'm going to read selected verses. And John says here, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The chaos that existed was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Hear that. I am making all things new. Not 
all new things. There's a continuity between what, even though the first things had passed away, there's a definite continuity. This is a new heaven and a new earth, the city Jerusalem. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light. And its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations. So the city, the bride prepared, will come down, and the dwelling of God is among mortals. You know, this is the final consummation of it all. It's like we're engaged. Um, my son, a lot of you know my son Seth, um, he's engaged to be married this summer, um, a little over a month now. And, you know, he's been engaged for a while, and that's an exciting thing. And you can imagine if, you know, he's talking with his fiance, and she said, oh, that would be so great, you know, when we're married and, you know, we get to be together and, and uh look to the future and, and build a life together. And if he had said, yeah, that'll be great, but you know, we're not married yet. So I think I'm going to go scout around and, you know, <laughs> date a few others and and just kind of do what I want to do with all that I have and all that I am for this year before we're married. How do you think that would go over? <laughs> Not so good. So if we look to, you know, the consummation of being the people of God and God's new creation as, as sort of a betrothal or an engagement, um, think of how we should act. We should act as if we're already married. It's not the same. We're not there yet. But there are certain ways that we behave. Interesting thing about this upcoming marriage is that the woman he is marrying is of Indian descent. And the wedding will be a pretty traditional Indian wedding. It's a, it's pretty blended. But um, one of the things, and we have no idea what to expect, um, but one of the things we understand about the wedding is that um, Ami's Family and friends will gather in the venue where the wedding will be. Seth's family and friends, Seth's tribe, as you might say, or village, will gather around kind of at the front of the hotel and then we're to proceed in, um, you know, following the sidewalk, walking by the little lakes. And as we approach the venue, guess what happens? Ami's family comes out to meet us to escort us in. Hear that verse again? Those who are alive in Christ will be caught up in the air and will be escorted in, you know, as as this marriage takes place, as these two families are joined, in the same way that in God's time, heaven and earth will be joined and God's God's new creation will come into being. So those images help us to understand. Now, 
were humans, and the Corinthians were too. They were maybe a little more human than uh, <laughs> their, their pastors might have wished, and certainly more than Paul might have wished. Um, but, you know, the human question, as Paul writes to them, you know, they said, well, you know, maybe this, you know, resurrection doesn't happen. We know that. Never from the beginning of the, the world has anyone been resurrected. And, you know, we're just not sure we can buy that. Or or maybe it's already happened. Um, you know, they had a lot of questions about that. And so Paul, in in what we call 1 Corinthians, answered a lot of these questions. And one of them apparently was, well, if we're to be resurrected, what are our bodies going to be like? And so Paul deals with that, and I love the way, the way he starts. He says, somebody will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul responds, fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. You know, like, you idiots, why are you even worrying about that? God will handle that. But he does go on to explain, and he says, As for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God has given it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Now, I come from corn country. If you go to central Illinois, where it's pretty flat, a lot of good soil there, as far as the eye can see, there are crops growing and I'm most familiar with corn. And I know that a kernel of corn does not look like a stalk of corn. And so Paul's illustration for me has always been very helpful. You have corn and you have corn. A seed that dies, at least it looks dead, they're all shriveled up, and you put it in the ground. But what comes to life is corn, but very different. And so Paul says, the first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And goes on to explain a little bit more about putting on the perishable body. But, you know, get an image. You know, we'll be the same will be identifiable, but will be different. We'll have glorified bodies, imperishable bodies, the bodies that God has chosen to give us, not the bodies born of flesh and blood, but the bodies born through the Spirit. And those bodies will will bear the mark, the marks of what we have done in this body. Let me read you again. Um, let me find... Uh, I'm going out of order. So, let me read you again a short passage from, from Surprised by Hope. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. You know, we don't have a lot of pictures of heaven. We have the promise of it. But nor do we have a lot of pictures of resurrection. But we have one good one. Jesus was recognizable as Jesus, not right off the bat. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus? Didn't catch on right away. But they finally recognized this was Jesus. 
Remember the disciples gathered together after Jesus' death and resurrection and Jesus appears to them, only Thomas wasn't there. And Thomas says, unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes in his hand and my fist in his side, I won't believe. And when Jesus appears to Thomas, he says, come on, here it is. You know, the signs of what Jesus had done for the kingdom were present in his resurrected body. What we do for the kingdom in this body, in this life, will last. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day when we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. So I think the question that we ask ourselves is, what am I called to do? How am I called to build for the kingdom? You know, I sit here and listen to your announcements. You know, last week the sharing that went on, and and this week the things that, that have gone on and what you are in the process of doing. And I know that so many in this room have been building for the kingdom for a long time. But I think we continually need to ask, what is it you would have me do now, Lord? I choose to live in obedience to you. What is it you need me to do? And we ask ourselves that. You know, How is it that we can work for justice in this world? How is it that we can bring God's beauty to the presence of those who don't see it? You know, what is it that we can do? We cannot not work for God's kingdom. If all we're concerned about is making sure I'm right with God, you know, if, if it, if it all of a sudden becomes all about me, we're cutting off, we're cutting off so much of the gospel story. You know, one of, one of the phrases Bishop Wright uses that, that I love is God saves holes, not souls. That if our focus is solely on, solely on, you know, it's an essential. Don't, don't hear me wrong here. But if our focus is solely on making sure that we and others have confessed Christ as Lord and that's where we stop, we're missing a whole bunch. And it can fall into dangerous territory there. Uh, if you study the history of the church, um, I studied the history of the Methodist church just prior to the Civil War. And there were a whole lot of slave owners at the time that justified their acts by saying, I've preached the gospel to my slaves I've saved their souls, so it doesn't matter what I do to their bodies. You know, if we push that too far, we get into dangerous territory. And so we need to think about what is it that we are asked to do to be partners with God in bringing in this kingdom. Not up to us. We can't do that on our own. But it's what what it's all about being the church, being partners with God to bring in the kingdom. Kind of our our main passage uh, that we focused on these two weeks is First Corinthians 15, and and you all well know that just shortly before First Corinthians 15 is First Corinthians 13 that we often refer to as the love chapter, and so I want to uh, conclude by reading just a passage having to do with that chapter. 
The point of 1 Corinthians 13 is that love is not our duty. It is our destiny. It is the language Jesus spoke, and we are called to speak it so that we can converse with him. It is the food they eat in God's new world, and we must acquire a taste for it here and now. It is the music God has written for all his creatures to sing, and we are called to learn it and practice it now so as to be ready when the conductor brings down his baton. It's the resurrection life, and the resurrected Jesus calls us to begin living it with him and for him right now. Love is at the very heart of the surprise of hope. People who truly hope as the resurrection encourages us to hope will be people enabled to love in a new way. Let's pray together. Lord God, help us to know the hope you have for us. Help us to see ourselves as you see us, fully human, redeemed through the love of Christ, and enabled to work through your spirit to bring your kingdom on earth. We know, Lord, that none of this can we do on our own, but, Lord, we are so empowered by your spirit that we can live as your children, more and more recognizable because of our close resemblance to you. Go with us now to strengthen us to live as your children in this world. And we pray this in the spirit of Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, Sally. Thank you. We're glad you came home. (laughs) Having lived in that part of the country, it's more fun to live in Atlanta. Yes. (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing that with us. It's kind of funny how we have a holy coincidence every now and then with our Bible verse. So, therefore, as God's chosen people, you're chosen, you're holy, and you're dearly loved. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, and patience. That's Colossians 3.12. Have a great holiday.